Hurricane Hannah hits the coast and comes up into Mexico. Bill Barr sits in front of the house and talks about what's going on with uh, his world. Ghislaine Maxwell's attorney seeks to hide photos ahead of the trial. And Bloomberg comes out with an article that we already knew everything about. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Well, it looks like we are not going to have news feed over here on the screen today, unfortunately, because I didn't uh, change the settings back after the Red Ned show last night after I changed the screen sides, but we will press on because there's already people up in the live chat and the news stops for nobody. So we've got a ton to get to today and we will go and see what's going on with all of that. But before we get started, head on over to freedomscoop.com. Freedomscoop.com is going to be your one-stop shop for all of your news and commentary needs. We have got my shows. We've got the Daily Ignoramus. You can go over there and check out the Breakdown with Birkenhoff. You can check out the Generational Gap. You can check out the Art Ready Conservative and the Freckles and Brit Show. Come on over there and check us out and help us support great creators. All right, we are going to start with the stocks here, which I've got the chart up, but since nobody can see it on this particular episode, we will press on, but it looks like we have. We were up... Uh, a half a percent, it looks like, 114 points on a pretty well upswung day. It looks like there's some recovery that's in the future after we saw the article yesterday from Investors Business Daily and all the positivity that came from Yahoo Finance. So it looks like things are going to look up for here. There's some uh, good things happening up in the uh, private sector as well. We'll talk a bit about that. And let's move on and read from Investors Business Daily. All right. From Ed Carson, Dow Jones futures signal stock market rally, retreat amid earnings rush, GOP stimulus plan unveiled, Pfizer vaccine starts phase three trial. Dow Jones futures fell modestly uh, early Tuesday along with S&P 500 futures and NASDAQ futures as gold prices reversed from a record $2,000 overnight. The GOP outlined its new coronavirus stimulus plan late Monday, while Dow Jones giant Pfizer started a phase three trial for its coronavirus vaccine. The seemingly Goldilocks stock market rally had a solid Monday. Lululemon, Athletica reclaimed a buy point, while Apple, Shopify, and many other tech leaders extended bullish rebound. The coronavirus stock market rally over the past couple weeks could be shifting to a slightly cooler place. That could be a Goldilocks stock market scenario in which the major indices advance at a modest rate, letting leading stocks run relatively safely. Early Tuesday, Pfizer reported better than expected second quarter results while also raising guidance. Pfizer stock rose in the pre-market, though that partly reflects COVID-19 vaccine progress. The PFE stock is signaling a move near a buy point, but its relative strength line has been lackluster until very recently. Fellow Dow stock, McDonald's, reported weaker than expected earnings. McDonald's stock, which closed near a buy point, fell in the pre-market. Audio Codes reported better than expected quarter two earnings, while revenue edged past views. New Oriental te Education Technology missed on earnings and guided low on revenue. Both stocks fell in the pre-market, with EDU stock falling from near buy point, while AUDC stock is signaling a drop back into a new buy zone. Zebra Technologies earnings and sales fell less than forecast, but revenue guidance was light. Zebra stock near a buy point was not yet trading. Sherwin-Williams easily beat quarterly excuse me, EPS views, as HW stock rose, signaling a move out of a buy zone. 
Late Tuesday, AMD and Visa are due, as well as medical products leaders Dexcom and Massimo. Visa stock is near a buy point, though its RS line shows that this DGIA component has not been a coronavirus market rally leader. AMD stock is extended, Dexcom stock is just above a buy point, while Massimo stock has formed a new handle in its consolidation. Lululemon stock, Shopify stock, Apple stock, and Dexcom stock are on the IBD leaderboard. Massimo stock is on the IBD long-term leaders list, while Sherwin-Williams stock is on the long-term leaders watch list. Audio Code stock, AMD stock, and Dexcom stock are all on the IBD 50. Dow Jones futures fell 0.45% versus fair value, with PFE stock providing a lift and MCD stock a drag. S&P 500 futures sank 0.35%. NASDAQ 100 futures repeated point four or retreated rather not repeated 0.4% after popping nearly 1% overnight. Remember, overnight action in Dow Jones futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock market session. Gold futures briefly hit $2,000 an ounce for the first time but reversed slightly lower to around 1925. Silver prices, which have been especially hot in recent days, also reversed lower. The U.S. Mint reported is, or reportedly rather, is slowing gold and silver coin production due to the coronavirus. The dollar hit a 22-month low overnight. The Federal Reserve begins its two-day policy meeting today. So remember, folks, go out there and buy your birch gold. And get get your birch gold. That's the only name I trust in all my gold and all everything else. So buy your birch gold. You should always have your uh, portfolio diversified into precious metals. <clears throat> All right. Let's keep going on here. So now we will read here slightly or briefly here from CNBC. Stocks rise to start the week as Amazon and Apple lead tech higher. Gold's hit a record. From Fred Imbert and Houston's Wang. U.S. stocks rose on Monday with the major tech names outperforming as investors brace for a big week of corporate earnings and lawmakers continued coronavirus stimulus negotiations. The excuse me, Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 114.88 points or 0.4% to close at 26584.77. The S&P 500 closed 0.7% higher at 3239.41. And the NASDAQ composite outperformed, climbing 1.7% to 10,536.27. Apple climbed 2.3%. Amazon advanced 1.5% after several analysts raised their price targets on the e-commerce giant. Other tech-related stocks, including Facebook, Netflix, and Alphabet, also traded higher. Market sentiment was also boosted after the U.S. government allocated an additional $472 million towards Moderna's coronavirus vaccine research. Hmm. Once again, where did we get that money from? The stock jumped 9.2%. Why is the government picking winners and losers? The move higher in stocks came as gold prices soared to a new record high. Gold futures hit an intraday high of 1941.90 per ounce and settled 1.8% higher at 1931.50. Monday's gain put the precious metal up more than 26% year-to-date on pace for its biggest one-year gain since 2010. Gold is probably giving us a warning, but the market continues to chug along higher, said J.J. Kinahan, chief market strategist at TD Ameritrade. Kinahan also added, 
Gold surged to a record high that would be more concerning if the 10-year Treasury yield was declining and the SIBO volatility index was rising until I see the other two top indicators. Support what's going on in gold. I don't need to call it the top. Wow, I'm starting to lose my ability to read as we get to the end of this here, and you guys can't even see the article and see where I'm screwing up on this as well. So, yeah, I apologize for not having the news in the back like I normally do, but once again, that was a little bit of an error on my start out. So, that's what we're going to be seeing out of the stocks here, and like our good friend uh, Shapiro says over on the Daily Wire, go buy your birch gold, folks. The only name I trust in precious metals. All right, let's keep going. So, we've had some weather that's coming up here, and once again, as I always say when I read NPR, I'm not going to read it in this voice, because that would put a lot of people to sleep, and I know I have one person here that drives for a living, and we can't have him sleeping at the wheel. So, we are going to read it in a bold and regular voice here, but we will read from NPR and Wisconsin Public Radio from Matthew S. Schwartz. Death and missing people reported from Tropical Depression Hannah in Mexico. <clears throat> As Hurricane Hannah barreled through the Atlantic Ocean this weekend, Texas and Mexico both braced for calamity, but it was Mexico that saw death. According to Mexican newspaper accounts, the bodies of a seven-year-old girl and her mother were found Monday in Saltillo near Monterey in northeastern Mexico after the van they were in ran out of gas and was dragged down an overflowing tributary they were swept away by the current. Some family members escaped, according to the Mexican papers, including the girl's 11-year-old sister, who reportedly managed to survive by clinging to branches. In the border city of Reynosa, one woman reportedly died after suffering a seizure and drowning in the floodwater left by Hannah. Three children were reported missing, and they fell from a tree into the water. Texas saw no casualties after Hannah, the first hurricane of the season, began for being downgraded to a tropical storm and then a tropical depression hit the southwestern part of the state on Saturday. 200,000 locations were left without power. As of Monday morning, AEP Texas reported 60,000 outages remaining. Restoring power was complicated by severe flooding in some areas that limited access to substations, the utility said. Hannah made landfall about 90 miles south of Corpus Christi on Saturday evening before moving into Mexico in Texas. It dropped up to 15 inches of rain in some areas and caused extensive flooding and beach erosion. The Texas State Aquarium saw minor damage, mostly debris brought in by the storm surge and the Bob Hall Pier, a local tourist destination, was damaged for the first time in its 37-year history. A video that circulated widely on social media over the weekend purportedly to show a section of the southern border wall crashing down on Hannah's high winds, but U.S. Customs and Border Protection told Texas Public Radio the video appears to be from last month when wind gusts knocked down over several border wall panels at a construction site in New Mexico. We'll be talking a bit about that in a Forbes article in just a second here. Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced Sunday that the Federal Emergency Management Agency and President Trump granted the state's request for emergency disaster relief. So, I mean, there's not a lot going on here. It wasn't a huge storm. There wasn't a lot of damage out of this, but there was enough to put 200,000 people out of power and make it incredibly difficult for all of this here. But that has been one thing that's been nice about 2020, in spite of all the other hell that we've had to face from the beginning of this year, because it is an election year, and that's what they need to see. We haven't really seen a major hurricane this year. They're, they're hoping for it. I can tell you right away that they are hoping to see that major hurricane 
They want to see it come and rip apart, uh, rip apart the country under Trump's administration. But, I mean, what did we get? We got that one that moved up the Mississippi Valley when I was in uh, uh, Florida. I was in D.C. actually at the time. It was already done by the time I got to Florida. But, yeah, we had that one that ripped up uh, the Mississippi River. And that's about that's about all we saw. And then now just this coming over, making landfall into Mexico and into Texas. So let's see what the Forbes magazine has to say about this border wall thing, which I found interesting because uh, Robert was over on the generational gap laughing last night because oh, that border wall, that secure border wall that's out there, that was going to be Trump's thing and it just took one hurricane to knock it down. Well, that didn't actually seem to be the case. So we will read here from Alexandra, uh, Alexandra Sternlicht over at Forbes staff. Hurricane Hannah did not knock over U.S.-Mexico border wall. A video purportedly or purporting to show footage of Hurricane Hannah toppling the U.S.-Mexico border wall in Rio Grande Valley was actually taken at a construction site in June, according to officials refuting people who took to social media to criticize Trump's wall for shoddy construction. Key facts. No, I don't want to read the key facts. I want to read the article. Okay, I guess I'm just going to read key facts. Key facts. U.S. Customs and Border Patrol is not aware of any border walls panels falling over due to Hurricane Hannah hitting the Rio Grande Valley sector this past weekend. The agency told Forbes on Monday, CPB says the video was actually taken at the Department of Defense construction site in New Mexico in June. The video reportedly showed people in hard hats viewing a section of the wall that had been damaged by wind, with a caption, Hannah knocked down part of the border wall that's being built between the U.S. and Mexico, according to the Caller Times. The video, posted by journalist Yadith Valdez, has since been deleted. People on Twitter expressed outrage at the footage, believing Hannah had toppled the wall. And I like this one here from Borzu Daragani, hurricane that Trump ignores while playing golf knocks down his shoddily built border wall. It's one of the tweets that they're up there uh, pushing. Big number. Okay, and yeah, this is just some facts. So this wasn't actually an article, it's just kind of a fact-finding uh, mission, but I thought it was interesting nonetheless. I'm actually going to save that one here for Monday, so let's see what we've got going on further. Unsatiable, I disavow. All right. From CNBC, we will read, Senate Heals Act includes another $1,200 stimulus check. Here's who would qualify from Alicia Adamchik. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell announced the Health Economic Assistance Liability Protection in Schools, or HEALS Act. <sighs> These acronyms are getting fucking ridiculous. I'm, I swear, I can't with some of this stuff. Monday night, the upper chamber's long-awaited coronavirus stimulus package, the $1 trillion bill, includes an extra $200 per week in unemployment insurance, down from $600 in the earlier CARES Act, and more money for schools, among other measures. The bill also proposes a second $1,200 economic impact payment. The second round of checks will follow the same eligibility formula as the first round, according to a memo from the Senate Finance Committee. Qualifying individuals earning a gross adjusted income of up to $75,000 per year in 2019 and couples earning $150,000 a year will receive the full $1,200 or $2,400 respectively. From there, the checks will be reduced by $5 for every $100 in income. 
phasing out completely at 99,000 and 198,000. You guys know what I'm going to ask. Where's the money coming from? Where's the money, Lebowski? Interesting fact, I've never seen that movie, by the way. I'm like the only person in the world who hasn't seen it, but I have never seen that movie. Individuals who have no income and those whose income comes from programs such as SSI benefits are still eligible for the full rebate amount. Individuals will also receive $500 for each dependent, just like under the CARES Act. Unlike the first time around, though, there's no age ca uh, cap on the extra payment. The CARES Act capped the dependent payment at age 17 are excluding many college students and other adult dependents from receiving a check. Yeah, where does that money come from? In the new bill, the Senate also clarified that anyone who died prior to January 1st, 2020 cannot receive a check. Are they actually going to go and check in on that? I hope so. It also precludes anyone who is in prison from receiving one. To get yours, the IRS either needs your bank account information or address. You can provide both of those on the IRS's website, and I don't feel comfortable letting the government know either one of those things. Even though, because I have a driver's license, commercial, they do have one. And I don't even like that, so God, no, they're not getting my bank account information. Hell no. Nothing is set in stone yet. Now leaders from the House, which introduced the $3 trillion HEROES Act in May, and Senate will negotiate before the final package is passed. Negotiations are expected to extend into August. So, they're going to send out another check, and I'm going to cut that motherfucker up too, because, nope. And I got bitched out from my tax accountant because I cut that up because, oh, well, I mean, that's already going, they can't take your return negative, but that's already going against your return for next year, so why don't you just take the money? It's free money at that point. I said, yeah, well, nothing comes from the government that doesn't have a hook buried into it, so, nope, not going to happen. I don't care how they tax me. Taxation is theft anyway, but nope, that ain't going to happen. You are not going to give me that hook. So that's going to be coming up here in the near future. Look forward for that. Let's keep moving on here. From ABC News, couple who wore swastika masks, uh, masks rather, banned from Walmart for a year from Catherine Thorbecki. The couple seen in a now viral video wearing face coverings with Nazi swastikas. What other kind of swastikas are there? I thought there was just the one. While shopping at Walmart in Marshall, Minnesota, are not allowed at any Walmart stores for the next year. A video of the incident was captured and shared on Facebook by bystander Rafaela Mueller. It has garnered over 230,000 views on the platform since Sunday. I was speechless, Mueller told ABC News of what she saw. I couldn't believe my eyes. I turned to my partner and said, wow, did I just see that right? Mueller said that shortly after they saw the couple at the store on Saturday morning, they decided to report them to the store's manager. As they were waiting to speak to the manager, Mueller said the couple, still clad in the face coverings, showed up at a register from across from them, and that's when she started recording. In the video, the unidentified couple seemed to argue that it is a political statement. The woman wearing the swastika-adorned mask appears defiant in the video, talking in the direction of the camera as she responds to the other customers who are strongly objecting to their masks. If you vote for Biden, the woman appears to be saying, you're going to be living in Nazi Germany, and that's what it's going to be like. Eventually, Mueller said 
there was a lot of commotion and the couple was escorted out of the store by police. Mueller said she felt compelled to do something and not stay silent because of her own personal family history. Oh, here we go. My great-great-grandmother fought in the underground resistance against the first wave of Nazis and risked her life for the other people, she said. I had that underlying knowledge in my head of, wow, if I don't say anything now, what did she risk her life for? She added that while many people think something like this is never going to happen to our community, she thinks that it's not, or not that these events are more frequent right now, but it's that they are being filmed more often. I want people to get more comfortable with stepping in and speaking up, she added. Walmart called the incident unacceptable and said the individuals have been trespassing or trespassed from all Walmart facilities for at least one year, meaning they could face trespassing charges if they go to a Walmart. So, yeah, there's just, there are a bunch of moving pieces to this. It's stupidity in one of its highest forms, one of its absolute highest forms. And I applaud the uh, the whole thing. I, like I told uh, most of you guys, and like I told my boss, if Rock County puts the mask mandate in place, I mean, I'm getting a ridiculous mask for next week for the show, but if Rock County does put a mask mandate into place, I'm going to work in a clan hood. And they'll know that I'm going to do it, too. And they all know that I would do it. So, and we saw that from a grocery store in California as well. Some guy walked around in a clan hood. And this wasn't the first time of a swastika mask either because somebody else had done the same thing. If they want to make you wear the mask, they don't get a say in what you have adorning it. That's the trade-off that I see off of this here. But it's... The other option that you have is you can go shop somewhere other than Walmart. I do understand the political statement, though. So there are a lot of sides to this. And I mean, I don't support the symbol on the mask, but I support the political statement that they were trying to make. And it's still funny. I'm sorry. But we're going to keep moving on here. From the New York Post, Miami man blows COVID-19 relief funds on Lamborghini dating sites, hotel stays from Tamar Lapine, a Florida man. You knew that was going to be right in the beginning scammed nearly $4 million from the U.S. government's coronavirus relief uh, loan program and used some of the cash on a brand new Lamborghini and other luxury items, authorities said on Monday. David T. Hines was charged with bank fraud, making false statements to a financial institution, and engaging in transactions and unlawful proceeds in a criminal complaint unsealed on Monday. Hines, 29 of Miami, initially tried to get $13.5 million from payment protect or, yeah, from the Payment Protection Program, I thought it was the Paycheck, wow, I got a hiccup again, Paycheck Protection Program through applications on behalf of different companies by saying he needed the money for employee payroll purposes. <gasps> Excuse me. Turns out those purported employees either did not exist or earned a fraction of what Hines claimed in his PPV applications, the affidavit states. The bank eventually approved three of the loans, totaling $3.9 million. Yeah, you want to know why the PPP ran out of money? It's that right there. Within a few days of pocketing the cash, Hines allegedly bought a 2020 Lamborghini Huracan, valued at more than $318,000. He also spent thousands of dollars on dating websites, jewelry, and clothes, and stays at posh hotels in Miami Beach, the complaint alleges. Federal investigators linked the sports car to Hines after he was involved in a hit-and-run incident. That's always a hit-and-run incident. If you got it for next to nothing from scamming the government, there's 
almost 100% chance you're going to get drunk and do something stupid and then run away in a $318,000 sports car that's made mostly of fiberglass. Wow. Miami police impounded the vehicle, which federal prosecutors now plan to seize. When the bank froze, oh, that's going to be a cop car now. When the bank froze Heinz's company's accounts on June 24th, they showed a balance of $3,463,162, but no repayments on the loans. Heinz was arrested Friday. He was granted release on a $100,000 bond by U.S. Chief Magistrate Jeff. $100,000 bonds when he's got $3 million in the bank. John O'Sullivan, during his first court appearance on Monday, he will be allowed to stay in his mother's home with the GPS monitor. His arraignment is scheduled for October uh, 14th. So, if you want any reason to not trust the government from giving you another relief package, it's right there. Right in front of me. So, and yes, you wonder why the PPP ran out of money so quickly. All right, let's keep going here from the Hill. Kaepernick, Fauci to receive Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Awards from Aris Folly. Former NFL star Colin Kaepernick and Anthony Fauci, the country's leading infectious disease expert, are slated to be among this year's recipients of the Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Ripple of Hope Award. Other leaders expected to receive this award this year include Dolores Huerta, founder and president of the Dolores Huerta Foundation and co-founder of United Farm Workers of America, Dan Shulman, president and chief executive officer of PayPal, and Dan Springer, chief executive officer of DocuSign. Well, hey, if we want to throw a little bit more money into uh, Dan Shulman's pockets there, you know, there's that link right below. You can toss me a couple bucks just to help out a little bit. Be much appreciated if you did. At a time when courageous pursuit of equality and justice has become a political and riddled with adversity, Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights stands with these modern-day human rights defenders in their inspirational fight for progress. The organization said in an announcement on Monday, what exactly did Colin Kaepernick do for human rights as a human rights leader? He had two great seasons, three great seasons for the 49ers, he lost his edge, he started to suck, he got benched, and then he started kneeling to try and get himself back up on the camera and become famous. I don't think that that's really a human rights thing. So, that's my take on that. In a statement thanking the organization for the honor, Kaepernick recalls his experience watching musician and civil rights activist Harry Belafonte receive the same award in 2017. I am humbled to follow the footsteps of individuals like Mr. B and be in the company of all these other laureates, he said. The group's decision to honor Kaepernick has come as the nationwide debate around athletes kneeling during the national anthem to protest racial injustice has reignited in recent weeks because it's politically convenient amid widespread demonstrations sparked by police killings of George Floyd and other black Americans. The inclusion of Fauci as a Ripple of Hope Award laureate comes after the head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases was tapped by the White House earlier this year to help lead the federal response to the COVID-19 pandemic and then became a hero of the left because he fought with the evil orange man. So, that's what we're seeing off of this here. 
neither one of these men needs to get this award, but yet they're going to for whatever reason. So we'll be watching this as we move along, but we've got to keep rolling along here. Let's read now from Fox News. Bar to come out swinging on violent crime, Russia probe in the first House Judiciary Committee appearance. From Gregory. In his first ever appearance before the House Judiciary Committee on Tuesday, Attorney General Bill Barr will condemn the grave abuses in the bogus uh, Russiagate scandal, while also highlighting black-on-black -black violence and defending law enforcement officers in no uncertain terms, according to a transcript of his prepared remarks obtained by Fox News on Monday night. The AG's unusually aggressive posture will be matched by a similarly full-throated arguments from GOP lawmakers on the panel, including ranking members Representative Jim Jordan, Fox News is told. Ever since I made it clear that I was going to do everything I could to get to the bottom of the grave abuses involved in the bogus Russiagate scandal, many of the Democrats on the committee att have attempted to discredit me by conjuring up a narrative that I am simply the president's factotum who disposes of criminal cases according to his instructions. Barr's expected to say at the outset of his remarks, judging by the letter inviting me to this hearing, that appears to be your agenda today. Barr will go on to, den to deny that Trump has improperly interfered with any of his decisions before pointing to statistics, uh, statistics showing progress on racial uh, justice issues according to his prepared remarks. <clears throat> I'm going to throw this article in the Discord because there's actually a link about halfway down that that will actually show his opening statement from uh, Scrib.com, so you guys can go see the opening statement for yourselves. Police forces today are more divisive than ever, but there are more, both more black police chiefs and more black officers in the ranks, Barr is expected to say, although the death of George Floyd, an unarmed black man at the hands of police, was a shocking event. The fact that such events are fortunately quite rare, according to statistics compiled by the Washington Post, the number of unarmed black men killed by police so far this year is eight. The number of unarmed white men killed by police over the same period is 11. Some unarmed suspects, moreover, were physically attacking officers or threatening others at the time they were shot, and the overall number of police shootings has been decreasing. So, looks like they're going to come up and try and grill him over the coals, which you knew it was going to happen, because that's, you know, it's absolutely right in the beginning of the article. That's what they've been saying. Oh, well, this is just President Trump's bulldog, and he's going to go out there, and he's going to inflict President Trump's agenda, and it's not going to be anything else. He's just going to defend the mean old orange man, and nobody should be defending the mean old orange man. So... Like I said, I'll throw this article up in the Discord. You can see the full remarks that he's going to be coming and saying. And I do, I'm going to try and get video for Monday of what uh, what we're going to be seeing off of this and see if they'll actually release video of the hearings. That would be very interesting for the Monday night show. But let's keep going. From the Daily Wire, this is a fucking gem. My God, is this one a gem. Seattle Mayor Trump's sending feds is dry run for martial law. From Hank Berrien. Dear Mayor Durkin, this is before I even read into the article. Dear Mayor Durkin, if you don't want martial law, then enforce the laws in your fucking city, you dumb twit. Alright, let's see what the, the Daily Wire has to say, though, which is probably going to be a lot cleaner than what I just said. 
On Monday, Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin, an outspoken opponent of President Trump, accused the president of sending federal forces to riot-plagued cities as a dry run for martial law. That is a tale that has been as old as time itself. Every time a president is in that you don't like, he's going to inflict martial law. That's been going on for as long as I can remember. Bush was going to put martial law in. Obama was going to put martial law in. Clinton was going to put martial law in. Bush 1 was going to put martial law in. And I didn't even know what martial law was at the time because I was busy being four. But I remember hearing it. So, that's just been something that's been going on forever. Durkin appeared on CNN's Outfront Monday with host Aaron Burnett. You've previous, uh, you've previously said you don't want or need help from the president or the federal government in everything that's happening, said Burnett. Does anything that's happened this weekend make you reconsider that? We don't need the help of the president or the president's offering. In fact, I think the president's actions directly escalated and were responsible for what happened this weekend. Durkin charged. Many people who were interviewed by media said they came to protest because of what's happening in Portland. But people in Portland were protesting because of what happened in Seattle. You see how the circular logic works? The process itself was billed as something in solidarity with Portland, she continued. And so today I requested the Department of Homeland Security, since there was no actions directed against federal properties here, to ask them to remove the standby team that they have because I believe it has escalated things here in Seattle. We've seen violence night after night in Portland. We don't want that happening in Seattle. Burnett pressed some of these images. They're ugly. A Starbucks destroyed in the protest. A construction site for a juvenile detention facility set on fire. Seattle police say officers were burned when protesters threw explosive devices at them. And look, a lot of what's happening here is not peaceful. This is just violent and destructive. And the president says he thinks mayors like you are refusing his help. And those stand by forces because he's the one offering it. Does he have a point? <clears throat> Backtrack true. No, again, the president's actions clearly have escalated things in Seattle and across the country, Durkin replied. And I was just thinking to a number of mayors throughout the country who saw a similar thing, that people were wanting to act out against the president and his administration coming to the streets. I believe if you look at what happened yesterday and Sunday again was peaceful. We had a number of peaceful protests, and that's what we've seen is every time this president promised to sow division, he's successful at it. He's clearly targeted cities ran by Democratic mayors. He said so himself, Durkin uh, continued. Well, that's probably because those are the ones that are burning to the ground right now. He's using law enforcement as a political tool. I hate to see it, Aaron, but I really believe that we're seeing a dry run from martial law. This is a president that's using law enforcement and federal forces for political purposes, and that should be chilling to every American. So that's what we're seeing off of this. And it's, like I said, every president has been accused of wanting to impose martial law for my lifetime and probably long, long before. So, that's what we're going to see out of this. And honestly, if Durkin's not going to defend the property of her citizens, Trump should at least offer to do so. And of course... There's federalism in this country, so he can't actually go in unless he's invited, but he's got them on standby. So they're on the ready in case that something does go or a federal property does go up. So, no, he's not throwing them in there, but for the people of Seattle, I hope that she will reconsider. I know she won't. 
And I hope she gets voted out the next election. I really do. All right, let's keep going here from the New York Post. 22 people facing federal charges in connection with Portland protests from Tamara Lapine. 22 more people have been arrested and charged over their alleged roles in the Portland protests, federal prosecutors announced on Monday. The charges of criminal conduct were in connection to demonstrations outside the Mark O. Hatfield Federal Courthouse between July 23rd and early on July 28th, U.S. Attorney William or Billy J. Williams said. The protests, which began after the May 25th death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, have been followed by nightly criminal activity, including assaults on law enforcement officers, destruction of property, looting, arson, and vandalism, his statement read. Two of the protesters, a man and a woman in their 30s, are accused of assaulting federal officers during a demonstration that started Thursday night and lasted into Friday morning. Four others, including an 18-year-old man, are charged with failing to obey law, uh, lawful orders at the same protest. Ronald Bernard Hinkey, uh, Ronald Bernard Hickey, that's how it is, a 44-year-old from Canada, was charged Friday for allegedly harassing and stalking federal agents deployed to Portland in response to the protests. I would call that uh, foreign interference. Prosecutors alleged he released the personal information of the agents on his Twitter account in order to threaten, intimidate, or incite violence against them, which is why the only identifying marks that they had, the federal agents had, was on their sleeves and not up on the front because, yes, it was well known that people were going to be doing that. At a protest overnight Saturday, seven people were arrested for allegedly assaulting federal officers, and one person was charged with operating a drone in a restricted airspace. During a demonstration the next night, seven more people were accused of assaulting federal officers. Federal prosecutors have announced charges against at least 27 other people in connection with the protest since the beginning of July. So... Like it, like I said in the last uh, article, they do have jurisdiction over the federal property and the area immediately surrounding it. They can't just go out into Portland at large without being invited into that. But they can defend the federal courthouse. And yes, if they're going to continue to assault the federal courthouse, according to U.S. Co or 40 U.S. Code 1315, the federal officers can arrest them as long as they see them committing the felony or have reason to believe that they're going to commit the felony, which they're doing. So, they're within their rights to do so, and like I said right at the beginning of this, if you don't want to see federal officers, federal agents, defending Portland property, then make an amendment that the federal government cannot own property outside of Washington, D.C., then it's all over. Then there are no more federal courthouses. So that's what we have out of this. Let's keep going. I got just a few more here and then we'll do Twitter trending for the day. CNN Stelter accused of breaching network's confidentiality agreement with Sandman may cost him his job. From Joseph A. Wolfson over at Fox News. CNN's chief media correspondent, Brian Stelter, may have landed himself in hot water, according to the attorney of Covington Catholic High School student, Nicholas Sandman. Last week, Sandman announced that the Washington Post settled the $250 million defamation lawsuit he filed over its botched coverage of a viral confrontation with a Native American elder that had portrayed the Kentucky teen as the aggressor. This followed the multi-million dollar settlement CNN made with the teenager back in January. However, Sandman's attorney, Lynn Wood, spotted a retweet from Stel uh, Stelter of a tweet written by attorney Mark Zaid, who speculated about how much money the teen walked away with from the settlement. 
those with zero legal experience, as far as I can tell, should not be conjecturing on the lawsuits they know nothing about. What kind of journalism is that? Zade said. I've litigated defamation cases. Sandman was undoubtedly paid nuisance value settlement and nothing more. Wood accused the reliable source's host of breaching his network's own confidentiality, uh, uh, confidenti uh, confidentiality agreement with his client. This retweet by Brian Stelter may have cost him his job over at CNN. It's called the breach, uh, breach of confidentiality agreement. Brian Stelter is a liar. I know how to deal with liars. What tweeted with a screenshot of Stelter's tweet. So, it's a speculation. It's going to be a stretch for him to get this, to lose his job over it, and for any sort of uh, legal fees to come out of this, but CNN is sitting and running scared by this as well because they've already lost to this once. Unfortunately, the only other thing that I can see with this is Stelter retweeted out something that was already on the public record because it had already been tweeted once. This would be a stretch to get any sort of any more money out of, but I do think that Stelter is going to get his hand slapped out of this. So let's keep going. From ABC News... The voice of the late uh, Representative John Lewis echoes in the Capitol during the ceremony from Libby Cathy. The voice of the late Representative John Lewis, known as the conscious of the U.S. Congress, uh, reverberated through the U.S. Capitol one more time during a ceremony in the Rotunda on Monday. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi grew emotional as she eulogized her late colleague of several decades. Well, through the centuries, I'm sure Nancy Pelosi has had a lot of colleagues, but... <laughs> another story we knew that he always worked on the side of the angels and now we know that he is with them she said when he made his speech at the march on washington 57 years ago he was the youngest speaker how fitting is that still pelosi yeah that's still pelosi how fitting is it that in the final days of his life he summoned the strength to acknowledge the young people peacefully protesting in the same spirit of the march, taking up the unfinished work of racial justice, helping complete the journey begun more than 55 years ago. She then, then turned the floor over to Lewis and his own words from a 2014 Emory University commencement speech. It was many, many years ago when we would visit the little town of Troy, visit Montgomery, visit Tuskegee, visit Birmingham. I saw those signs that said white men, colored men, white women, colored women, while waiting Colored waiting, I would come home and ask my mother, my father, my grandparents, my great-grandparents why. They would say, that's the way it is. Don't get in the way, don't get in trouble, Lewis said. But one day in 1955, 15 years old, in the 10th grade, I heard about Rosa Parks. I heard the words of Martin Luther King Jr. on the radio. 1957, I met Rosa Parks at the age of 17. In 1958, at the age of 18, I met Martin Luther King Jr., and those two individuals inspired me to get in the way, to get into trouble. So I came here to say to you this morning on this beautiful campus with your great education, you must find a way to get in the way, he continued. You must find a way to get in trouble, good trouble, necessary trouble. Lawmakers broke out in applause after the clip played because, oh, hashtag resist. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's remarks also recalled Lewis's speech during the March on Washington, which the Kentucky Republican attended as a young Senate intern. I marveled at the massive crowds. The sight gave me hope for our country. It was John's doing. Even on the day his voice echoed across the mall, I wondered how many dared to imagine that young man would walk up the halls of Congress, McConnell said. 
Well, John Lewis lived and worked with urgency because the task was urgent. But even the world around him gave him every cause for bitterness. He treated everyone with respect and love, McConnell continued. The socially distant ceremony inside the Capitol was attended by party leaders on both sides of the aisle and members of congressional black caucuses, many in masks reading vote in good trouble. The civil rights icon was honored in the private invitation only event that was followed by an unprecedented public viewing taking place outside the building through Tuesday. Shortly before 5.30 p.m., the former Vice President, Joe Biden, and his wife, Jill, visited the Capitol to pay their respects. Well, get, him, get Biden back out of there before the little girls come in because he's got a hair snipping problem. Vice President Pence and the Second Lady Karen Pence visited the Capitol following their return from Florida and visited Lewis's casket while it was on the building's east front steps for public viewing. Following Monday night's public viewing, family members, close friends, and current and former staffers were taking turns sitting vigil overnight while Lewis lies in state in the rotunda. So, it was a good funeral. I don't care for the people that spoke at it, but it was a good funeral nonetheless. And, you know, the things that John Lewis put forward into society will never be forgotten. Of course, the fact that he became a part of the problem will also never be forgotten, but he did lead the charge as well. So, it's a give and take with Lewis. I call balls and strikes as much as I can, and there are balls and strikes that come with Representative John Lewis. I'm not going to go near as hard into him as I did into H.W. when he died, or as I'm going to go into W. when he dies, but there are definitely balls and strikes on this guy. Alright, let's keep going. From Fox News, former Sanders campaign co-chair Nina Turner compares voting for Biden to eating a bowl of shit. From Joseph A. Wolfson, former Bernie Sanders campaign co-chair Nina Turner offered a not-so-appetizing analogy when asked about voting for presumptive Democrat nominee Joe Biden. Turner, who was prominent surrogate for Senator Sanders during the 2020 Democratic primary, expressed her lack of excitement for the former VP to the Atlantic. It's like saying to somebody, you have a bowl of shit in front of you, and all you've got to do is eat the half of it instead of the whole thing. It's still shit, Turner described to the Atlantic staff writer Peter Nicholas. Harvard University professor Cornell West, who also supported Sanders during the primary, had a similar stance on the article. We have to be true to ourselves and acknowledge that Biden is a mediocre, milquetoast, neoliberal centrist that we've been fighting against in the Democratic establishment, West said. Yes, no, absolutely, just keep saying that you're not willing to compromise with anybody. Please, please say the Democrats aren't willing to compromise. Just keep, please put that message out there. In his piece, Don't Count Out Trump, Nicholas lays out various reasons why President Trump could prevail with re-election victory in November, including a strong economic recovery, the return of inaccurate polling, Trump's superior campaigning over our energy, voter suppression, <clears throat> bullshit, and disenfranchisement due to the coronavirus outbreak in an uninspired Democratic base. Nicholas's piece does also doesn't rule out an October surprise. <clears throat> Ginsburg. Which could be, or this year, could be the announcement of a vaccine for COVID-19. Earlier this month, Turner had a fiery clash with Deborah Messing, slamming the Will and Grace star for insisting that a Kanye West candidacy could take black votes from Biden and aid Trump's re-election. So, yeah, they're getting spiced. Nobody likes this guy. I, I think people want to go out and pull the lever with their nose held like a lot of us did for Trump in 2016. That was me. I held my nose and voted for him. I don't like the guy. 
and I'm not voting for him a second time, but nobody is excited for this. Nobody at all is excited to vote for Biden. The only reason they're excited to vote for Biden is orange man bad. All right, but that's what we have on that. Yeah, voting for Biden's like eating a bowl of shit. So don't vote for Biden. That's the simplest solution. Don't vote for him. Do what I'm going to do. Leave the top of the ticket blank if you don't want to vote for Biden. Vote for Jorgensen if you're that upset about voting for Biden. Write in Bernie. Write in Yang. You have so many other options than just voting for Biden and then complaining and bitching about it. All right, let's keep going here. Uh, from the New York Post, Maxwell lawyers look to keep highly, uh, highly confidential evidence from going public from Ben Fewerherd. Defense attorneys for alleged Jeffrey Epstein, Madam Ghislaine Maxwell, want to hide from the public's uh, sensitive evidence ahead of her trial, including any nude photos and sexualized videos that will be marked highly confidential according to court documents. Well, to be completely fair, given Epstein's proclivities, if there are nude photos and sexualized videos and people distribute them, that will be distribution of child porn and will be a felony. So, yeah, no, let's not pass those around because I don't want anybody other than Maxwell to be facing a felony for this. In a proposed protective order filed Monday, Maxwell's attorneys detailed the discovery materials they believe should be kept out of public view and filed under seal in the Manhattan federal court case. This included the highly confidential information, which they said should not be disseminated, transmitted, or otherwise copied. Highly confidential information contains nude, partially nude, or otherwise sexualized images, videos, or other depictions of individuals the court papers state. Maxwell's attorneys and prosecutors have been working together to determine what discovery materials should be made public and only disagreed on two details according to the filing. One point they couldn't agree on is whether Maxwell's defense attorneys should be allowed to disclose the identities of victims mentioned in the discovery material who've already spoken on the record or to the media. The government's proposed restriction is therefore broader than necessary to protect the privacy interests of these individuals who have already chosen to self-identify and will hinder the defense's ability to conduct further factual investigation, prepare witnesses for trial, and advocate on Ms. Maxwell's behalf, the attorneys wrote. Plus, you know, it's dissemination of child porn. The judge will need to approve which documents are kept from the public eyes. Maxwell was arrested earlier this month on a six-count uh, indictment rather, for allegedly procuring girls for Epstein to abuse and then lying about it under oath. So, yeah, absolutely, no, we should not be disseminating these uh, materials. That is wrong on all counts. But I don't know if we're going to see justice with Maxwell. We're going to see justice with the people that are involved. I don't know what the detail, I don't know if, She's got a plea deal at this point with some of these people for the fact that she's giving up information. There's so much out there to distract us from this case, but we do need to keep paying attention to it. All right, let's keep going here. Um, actually, what I have now is a Facebook post from my wonderful co-host that came to me over in the Discord server. It's still in the Discord if you guys want to go over there and check it out here. I'm going to read a part of it. Uh, it's quite lengthy. So I'm going to go over some highlights of it. But we'll go ahead and look at this. So uh, Don Brew added two new photos 
to the album Stay Woke. Take a deep breath before reading this. Note the red shoes on the children in the pictures. Red Shoe Club, Pedogate, Child Trafficking, Ended. The story I'm about to tell you is true. Perhaps the most intriguing part of the story is that every single person reading this post, every single one of you, was alive when the story became news in 2004. Alright, now we've got a lot of intro to this. Our main character is a man named Marc Dutroux. He was born in Belgium in 1956. He was twice convicted of kidnapping and raping underage children. The first time was 1989. The second time occurred in 1996. That's not a typo. You read that correctly. He was convicted and served a much too brief sentence in 1998. He served only three and a half years of his 13-year sentence because he was released for good behavior. Less than 10 years later, he was arrested again on the same charges, different victims. In the second round of charges, he was convicted of kidnapping, torturing, and abusing victims, some of them to the point of death. What I'm about to tell you comes from the statements made by his surviving victims, Mark Dutroux himself, and evidence from law enforcement. Mark confessed to kidnapping, raping, drugging, torturing, and filming children for many years. He also claimed he was doing it at the behest of a political elite who financed his career as a professional trafficker. Not only does this political elite finance his efforts, they made specific requests of him. Sometimes they requested specific types of children. They were called party favors. Sometimes they requested specific means of torturing the children to fulfill their desires. Orgies, satanic rituals involving sacrifices, torture games. And sometimes they requested he film certain influential people engaged in these acts for later use as blackmail. He claimed many of his customers and financiers were world leaders. This was not a stretch of the imagination, because he lived in Belgium, where the EU and NATO headquarters were located. Annette Lucas, one of his victims who testified against him, she claimed she was six years old when the cleaning lady hired by her mother sold her to the pedophile network in 1969. Her claims were extraordinary. She was raped over 1,700 hours before turning 12 years old. She was six years old when she was forced to participate in her first orgy, which included wearing an iron dog collar and eating human excrement. Torture included being strapped to a butcher's block and used to execute other children. Other victims were forced to torture her for hours as part of the initiation. She said she was saved when one of her abusers negotiated for her freedom. That abuser would later sit as a defendant in the trial. As the Dutro trial went public, other victims stepped forward and confirmed the testimony, offering up descriptions of sexual abuse and human sacrifices. And this was, I mean, we talked a bit about this on and off mic as well last night. So this is the part that uh, Elaine wanted to make sure you guys knew about. They were also called described hunting parties where elites would release naked children into the woods to hide so that the elites themselves could hunt them down and slaughter them. Many of the stories from victims contained so many similarities they were impossible to deny. For example, hunting parties were often held at castles where victims could not escape and were hidden from the public eye. Those not killed in the hunt were usually chased down and mauled, killed by Dobermans. All of these victims echoed the testimonies of the older survivors of ritual satanic abuse from around the world. And then there are some pictures attached to this post, which, uh, of course, because I don't have the uh, news feed up for this particular episode. Uh, pictures of the hunting games, they're paintings that people like Tony Podesta buy and hang in his home and invite others to enjoy. So, and you're seeing the red shoes pictures that 
the paintings that came out of this because they're out there wearing red shoes and running up through the woods. And then, yes, the other picture that's uh, going along attached to this shows uh, girls out there naked with the blood around their feet because their calves were cut, or I'm sorry, their Achilles were cut so they couldn't run. So this is some really disturbing stuff. So go ahead and check that out. It's in the Discord. It's uh, uh, Liberty Phoenix 9 is the one that posted it for the Discord. So go and check that out. It's it's worth the full read. I read the full, uh, thing in full off uh, off camera, but it is definitely worth the full, uh, full read. All right, let's keep going, though, off of this. Let's do something a little bit lighter because that was pretty dark. From the Daily Wire, Elon Musk smacks, uh, smacks the left with two tweets from Hank Berrien. On Monday, Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla Incorporated and founder of SpaceX, issued two tweets tweaking the left. The first was sure to confound members of the left, confident that their support of current attacks on America, whether physical or philosophical, was shared by everyone in the so-called center of the political spectrum. Musk tweeted, the left is losing the middle. Musk followed 25 minutes later with another tweet attacking the father of communism, Karl Marx, writing succinctly, Das Kapital in a nutshell, followed by a picture of Marx with a statement in quasi-German, gives me that for free. Which was hilarious, and I saw that uh, yesterday. I actually commented on it, because a lot of people were saying, well, Musk has never read Das Kapital, and one person... He's actually still in my notifications over on Twitter. Decided to come out and said, I will bet you all of Musk's fortune that Musk has, uh, Musk has never read Das Capital. And I said, that is, the most Marx that is the most Marxist thing in the world. And the reason that you're betting Musk's fortune is because if you live your life based on Das Capital, you have no wealth of your own to bet. Uh, so that's... Uh, what we have there, Musk's apparent rejection of the leftist thought has been evidence for some time. In May, he gave an indication of how fed up he is with the leftist government of his home state in California, apparently urging followers on Twitter to join the conservatives of America as he tweeted succinctly, take the red pill. In the film, The Matrix, the hero Neo is offered a choice between a red pill and a blue pill. The red pill would free him from a dream world imposed on humanity and let him see reality. Some conservatives, uh, Aver that taking the red pill means for a former liberal or leftist to embrace the conservative philosophy, which is not what it means. It means that stop taking whatever the mainstream news is feeding you and the mainstream media is feeding you and start thinking for yourself is what that means. But yeah, I don't really blame Musk for getting it wrong. He's kind of eccentric. And yeah, that's pretty much, I've read Das Kapital. That's pretty much what it is. Give me that for free. You know, the worst part of it is there were a bunch of people that were defending Das Capital, who've also probably never read it, who were trying to come out and claim the fact that, no, that wasn't it. It was the Communist Manifesto that said, give me that for free. So, that's what we saw off Musk, and it was kind of funny. It wasn't noteworthy, but it was kind of funny. All right, I got a couple more here. Uh, one came from Midget B over in the Discord server. Rwanda refugee charged an arson attack on 15th century French cathedral from Danielle Wallace. A Rwandan refugee and church volunteer admitted to setting three fires in an arson attack that badly damaged a 15th century Gothic cathedral in western France earlier this month, his lawyer confirmed. 
The July 18th blaze destroyed the organ, shattered the stained glass windows, and blackened the insides of the Cathedral of St. Peter and St. Paul of the western French city of Nantes. Nantes prosecutor Pierre Senes said the unidentified 39-year-old Rwandan asylum seeker was a volunteer at the cathedral and had been tasked with the job of locking up when he lit three fires, two on cathedral organs and one on an electrical box. Sen said that so far the suspect has not elaborated in details on his motivations. The man was taken into custody for questioning the day after the fire but was released without charge, Al Jazeera reported. At the time, the cathedral's rector told police, I trust him like I trust all the helpers. The suspect was detained for a second time Saturday based on evidence gathered by police uh, forensic experts and a 20-strong team of investigators who questioned more than 30 people. Senes said in a statement, that's why he reportedly admitted to the crime, the man's attorney, Quentin Chaber, confirmed in the press conference on Sunday. My client is cooperating, Chaber said. According to France 24, obviously it was the relief for him to show, as he would say, his repentance. As a believer, it's important for him to show his effort. He has been charged with destruction and damage by fire and could face a 10-year jail term and a fine of 150,000 euros or 175,000 U.S. dollars if convicted, Senate said. So, yeah, I don't know what his motivation is. I mean, it can't be good no matter what the motivation is. And it just it blows my mind that he was... a he was a volunteer at the church, so he seemed to have a connection to everything. But well, apparently something set him off, and I don't know what it was. I don't know if details are going to get released on this or not over in the U.S. I think this was just kind of a blurb that they wanted to see put out there for people to see, but let's hope that we at least get some details and some sort of justice out of this as well. All right, the last one I'm going to read from here is from Bloomberg, of all places. And it's Bloomberg opinion, no less. So, from Andreas Cloth. Okay, Boomer, we're going to socialize you. This pandemic is turning millennials into socialists. We must make them a better offer. Turning them. Turning millennials into socialists, you say. It actually says turning them, not necessarily that they're socialists to begin with because the schools are doing the same thing. It's the pandemic that's doing it. Let's see what Bloomberg has to say. Everything about the SARS-CoV-2 uh, SARS seems unfamiliar, unfair. It affects the poor worse than the rich and blacks more than whites. It also disrupts and potentially derails the lives of people in some generations more than others. There's social and political dynamite in this inequity. One likely effect is to make several developed countries swerve left politically towards some bolder, um, I don't know that word, boldlerized, B-O-W-D-L-E-R-I-Z-E-D. -E -E I know a lot of words, but I don't know that one, form of socialism. The generational effects of COVID-19 may seem counterintuitive. Medically, the virus is most life-threatening to the so-called silent generation of people in their late 70s, 80s, or 90s. But economically, the coronavirus has left the lives relatively unscathed. Their careers have been, uh, have been had. Their retirement savings, if they have any, had already been turned into annuities. The silence, as a group, are not the pandemic's biggest economic losers. Nor is the generation just behind them, the infamous baby boomers, now in their late 50s, 60s, or early 70s, they've raised their children and don't have the stress of homeschooling them during the lockdowns. Most are still earning and saving 
or are just entering retirement with relatively generous pensions. Best of all, they've been politically in control for so long they've molded entire welfare and tax systems to their advantage. My own cohort, the Generation X of people in their 40s and early 50s, will also be fine uh, overall. Yes, we're currently traversing the nadir of the so-called U-curve of the lifetime well-being as we feel the midlife stress of caring simultaneously for elderly patients and vulnerable children. But the same ones who nowadays share our home offices to Zoom with their teachers. But that aside, we Xers have a fair shot at building our uh, careers in the booming 90s and following the blip of the dot-com bust, the aughts, we're less worried about ourselves than the long-term effects of school closures on our children called Generation Z. So it's really the folks in their 20s and 30s, the generation between X and Z, we should spare a thought for. Logically, they should be called Generation Y because they came of age near, but because they came of age near a round number year, they're the millennials. And boy, do they keep getting shafted. It started with a financial crash of 08, which hit just as the millennials were hoping to enter the job market and start their careers. Suddenly, all the good jobs were gone, and they were more likely to uh, be and stay unemployed than the older generations. I'm going to stop you right there. Dude, you need to thank your lucky stars that September 11th happened when it did, because otherwise that financial crash would have hit you, Gen Xer. That's the only reason we didn't go into that crash in 2002 which at every economic pointer in the world said it was going to happen but because we could start getting combat pig and because we were going into a war that was engineered and orchestrated by the bush administration we got it and not you Studies show that even a decade after the crash, all but the most educated millennials were earning and saving less than Xers or boomers did at the same age. Lower entry-level salaries have consequences that last an entire lifetime. This precarious outlook is probably one reason why millennials had already been delaying marriage and children longer than preceding generations did. And the fact that your generation told us to delay that to make sure that we got all of our toys done first and are more likely to still be living with their parents. And then this coronavirus showed up, causing a downturn that's making uh, the Great Recession of 2008 seem almost mild. After that previous labor market trauma, a lot of millennials took whatever gigs they could find as bartenders, baristas, waiters, or contract workers. But these are exactly the types of jobs that fell away during the lockdowns and may not come back soon. So millennials have a right to be frustrated. But what makes them, or many of them irate is watching the older generations milk the system at their expense through what some economists call boomer socialism. Consider the generous but unsustainable public pensions going to boomers in the most developed countries, which are paid for largely by millennials and Xers. In the U.S., there's also health care that's universal and public for the old, called Medicare, but often unavailable or unaffordable for the young. In many countries, the boomers have also bid up house prices beyond the reach of millennials, in part with tax breaks for mortgage interest that disproportionately benefit older taxpayers. Oh, and there's the mountain of student loan debt bearing down on many American millennials. This distress, coupled with the hypocrisy of boomers who claim to oppose big government while enjoying it in so many ways, explains why millennials have been trending left and even embracing the loaded word socialism. It's these fed-up young voters who boosted the campaigns of lefty boomer populists like Bernie Sanders, silent generation, in the U.S. and Jeremy Corbyn in the U.K., 
Whether millennials use the term socialism properly as government ownership of the means of production, it's moot. More likely, they simply want better public policy that addresses their specific problems. Even then, however, they fall prey to the political snake oil such as rent controls or wealth taxes. The better path for policymakers across the West is to offer more pragmatic but still sufficiently bold alternatives. As I've argued, this means reviving classical liberalism. Not in the American sense of left, but in the European sense of freedom. Healthcare, for example, can be provided publicly, privately, or in a mixed system like Germany's, but it should be always universal. Pension reform is a no-brainer, so is tax simplification that cuts loopholes for boomers, thus broadening the base without necessarily raising rates, and yes, we should keep studying the idea, still never properly tried, of a universal basic income. Not to expand, but to replace the welfare state. And that's where I'm going to stop reading this. Well, once again, I'm going to throw this one in the Discord so you guys can read it in its entirely, or entirety, rather. I was almost over anyway, but this guy is saying we should make a better pitch from or for millennials that are embracing communism by offering them communism like universal basic income and government-run health care. Social, socialism and communism like. So let's not let them be socialist. But let's offer them socialism so they won't be socialist. Yeah, this is a circular argument and a half. Cut the tax rate for everybody. Cut the business tax rate. End the lockdowns and get the fucking government out of the way. That's how you're going to build the economy again. As we, we saw it for three years in a row under this administration. And yet you're still trying to find a way to sell socialism to kids just under a different name. All right, that's all that I have for news today. I could go off on another rant on this, but I do have to go to work at some point here. But it's Tuesday, so the last thing we do on Tuesday is read the Twitter trending. So let me get that pulled up here so we can see what we have going here. We will, as always, skip the Tuesday thoughts. Tuesday motivation. We'll skip that stuff, and we'll see what's actually trending off of this here. So... Number one and number two are Tuesday thoughts and Tuesday vibes. Number three, Hightower. Patriots linebacker Donta Hightower opts out of a 2020 season, reports say. So, yeah, it appears that uh, he's not going to be coming back. I wonder why, but I don't care enough about the NFL anymore to really look into this much anymore. So, we're starting to see some effects coming out of the way that the country is running for 2020. Uh, number four, hydroxychloroquine works. So the FDA is saying hydroxychloroquine is not an effective treatment for COVID-19, and yet they're trending out that hydroxychloroquine works. And I do tend to go on the aspect of, yes, it does seem that it did work. It's just that evil orange man said it was good, so let's not use it. All right. A tease aircon. A K-pop trend. I have no idea what it means, unfortunately and I'm not going to look into it at this point, is uh, the third one we'll read in number five. Number six, Trump kills Texas. This will be entertaining, to say the least. New video, Trump has blood on his hands in Texas. We need 5,000 retweets on this in an hour. As the saying goes, everything's bigger in Texas, including Trump's body count. Yesterday, Texas began to report a truer count of coronavirus deaths. Their death count jumped 12%. A citation needed, please. Governor Abbott follows Trump, and Trump is killing Texans. 
So apparently some numbers came out over in Texas and now it means that Trump has blood on his hands for Texas even though everything was firmly in the hands of Governor Abbott and also the mayors of the individual cities. I wonder what my good friend Seawall thinks about that because he is a Texan and I wonder what my good friend uh, Wyatt thinks about that because he is also a Texan. I wonder what these gentlemen think about that and what's going on with that. Alright, and the last one we will read, number seven or number five. Uh, last Chance You is what we're going to read off of this. Uh, what's on TV Tuesday, Last Chance You in Stockton is on is now on Netflix. So apparently Last Chance You with Laney College Facebook is now on Netflix. I don't know what Last Chance You is, but I guess since I use Netflix, I'll be able to go over there and see what it is. I have no idea. I really don't. Oh yeah, and there's another one too. I didn't even put that on the stack because I didn't know that there was actually going to be a, a news story about this. We'll talk about this tomorrow, but yes, uh, the New York authorities are going to investigate a Chainsmokers concert for lack of social distancing. And Cuomo was up on his high horse on his soapbox last night talking about it too. So we'll actually, I'll click on that right now and make sure that I put it up to uh, talk about tomorrow because we will be back here tomorrow. So we're going to head on out of here. I'm going to go make some breakfast and head to work. We will be back here later on tonight to play some video games, do some Ed's World Gaming. We'll do something over in New Vegas. I don't know what we're going to do. I think we'll just take some more uh, locations down and, or maybe, maybe we'll do some, we'll do some main quest tonight. Yeah, we'll do some main quest. We'll find the alien blaster and we'll do some main quest. That's what we're going to do tonight over in New Vegas. So come and join me as we traverse the Mojave from eight to midnight, central standard time. Come and hang out. It'll be a good time. It'll give us some chance to unwind and read some live chat there here. Otherwise, we will be back here tomorrow with more Contemporary. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary.